0: Welcome back to Kafaro cast everyone. I've been gone for a couple weeks just getting back so I'm sorry we're behind on uh, the podcast and I wanted to do on this podcast uh, Frank is actually doing some real live work and he really doesn't care about recurve. so I wanted to finally finish up my my bow review. Uh, this has been going on really for probably two years i've I've tested multiple bows for long periods of time which is kind of weird for people at times to see me swap from another one bow to another every few months but it, it is what it is and, and and from to me uh to get a true test it takes a lot of 300 rounds animals on the ground a lot of weather variations and you can't do that in a short period of time i brought cody greenwood with the trablad on uh trad lab on with me cody what's going on
1: hey how's it going
0: Good. Uh, Cody, he has unique perspectives that I don't look at with this. He gets a little bit uh, deeper in the weeds on some things, uh, can explain things better, and and knows some things better. Uh, So I want him on here with me when we're talking about this. As we're doing the review, we will talk about things that are different than the actual different bow perspectives, meaning we're probably going to dive into string materials a little bit, tuning a little bit, um, limb length, riser length, um, when it's applicable to each bow we're talking about. Uh, so people walk away from this knowing that just because the, you know, I'm going to, there will be a winner with this for me and Cody can throw his two cents on all that. And, and for me, I've got a few categories. One is basically the, uh, the, the best in my opinion, or, or my preference for a custom bow. Um, uh, my preference for what I would say the most underrated bow is, uh, and then my overall winner between all of them, between ILF custom bows and like that. The reason why I chose it, and I may have chosen it over something else, and this boils down to a lot of different things, meaning if I have two ILF risers, they both shoot identical, and one's ugly, I'm going to choose the better-looking one because I have no reason to shoot an ugly bow. If I have two ILF risers that are both badass looking, in my opinion, but one of them is more expensive or one of them comes from overseas, that may be the loser because it's more of a pain in the butt. So I will explain that so people understand that it's not the shootability of the bow. It's other issues, not the shootability. Also, when I'm talking about this, I want to make sure and cover the highs and lows. So when I say highs and lows, uh, wingered. Uh, for example, you're waiting two years. Awesome bow, but you got a longer wait time. Those are the things I'm talking about as pros and cons. Uh, Cody, you got anything to add to that?
1: No, I think you I think you've covered it really well. Um, one thing that you you may want to dive into before you get into the bows, because you opened with it, but I'm I'm not sure people understand it is how long it takes you to get a feel for a bow. It's for me, it's at least thirty three hundred rounds. So when folks are trying out bows at like a Compton's event and they're, I like it, I didn't like it. I'm often surprised if I learn how to shoot a bow, how how much it changes. I didn't know if you had the same effect or not. I can't just get a feel for it in 15 minutes is my point.
0: Yeah. And I think there, there will be some bows you grab and you're like, man, I really like that bow. That's usually because of the grip from what I've found um, or the length of the bow. If you know, if you're drawing a 58 inch and a 62 inch bow back, that's not really a fair comparison. But if, if, you, you like the grip of a specific bow, pretty much all Boyers and ILF bows can mimic that specific grip. Like you have Arcor, uh, Jaeger for the ILF bows, or I'm sure there's plenty of others as far as custom grips. Uh, and then you can, uh, every bowyer I deal with, they get tons of photos or a riser from me saying match this grip because the grip is a lot more important than I think people realize as far as shootability and, and consistency and accuracy. But I agree with you. It, it takes a while before it comes an extension of your body. Um, one of the reasons when we get to the winner of uh, of what I personally prefer um, is that I can grab it, I, and I just grabbed one yesterday. Uh, at Rocky Mountain, we put it together. I shot a 300 round, and because that was the, I set up that bow just like the previous bow I had, I was able to shoot a, an extremely high score in a 300 round, because it was familiar to me, it was already an extension of my body, so to speak, because I've had it before. When you, if I would have grabbed any other bow, I mean, 50 points difference, probably, because it's not an extension of your body. That takes a couple months, um, in, in my opinion.
1: Well, I totally agree. It's especially true with long bows or ASLs, and I know you haven't tested a lot of those. I can I can run through the top of there on my side, but the only other point that I think is important, because people misinterpret this with you, especially, is your level of sensitivity to good or bad is going to be dependent upon your your shot, right? So if you're a 270, 280 shooter, your antennas are a lot higher than me, like a 255, 260 shooter, or even a you know 180 or a 210 shooter. So just because Aaron says um he can sense it, it may not mean if you see other guys say I've shot them both and I can't tell the difference, maybe they can't. It's dependent upon your own shot variation that you bring to the shot but the less variation you bring to the shot the more the bow brings to the table
0: and and as we talk about that that is a good point I shoot with a string clicker and a palm clicker on during training I generally take them off for hunting sometimes I leave them on um you know messing around with a a clicker and I don't want to dive into this too much other than to give you an idea I have started to activate my clickers with my bow arm rather than my release hand that means that I am so sensitive to my draw length that that is less than a sixteenth that it takes for me to be perfect to get that clicker to go off. Now in a hunting situation, that shit kind of gets thrown out of the window. Um, different angles. It's it's not as perfect as me shooting on flat ground, dropping, you know, errors at 40 and 50 yards. But if I, for example, just you know a, a 64th of an inch push my bow arm forward to release to to engage that clicker um that's micro micro um that and that is not me I don't hear any bullshit from people messaging in I'm bragging that's just how it is and and I shoot enough that I am comfortable um at a certain draw length a certain poundage and no stacking in the limbs to be able to operate that operate that clicker clicker correctly um, when you talk about stacking on the limbs, if I start to get more than a pound and a half to two pounds uh, of gain on my last inch of draw length and then I throw a clicker on, I am not, because the clicker adds poundage, I am not comfortable with that and that can give me the yips a little bit because I am not comfortable with that poundage to get that clicker to engage. So all of those things come into play with what Cody's talking about where I'm like, man, it stacks a little bit. If you're a guy that's kind of a grip it and rip it dude, you may like that stack to clean up your release. For me, it, it'll give me the yips if, if it stacks too much. Um, Cody, you want to add anything to that before we start kicking this off?
1: No, but I'm glad you said that out loud on a podcast because one battle that I fight on a regular basis uh, with bowyers is you know if they're bow stacks, I'll call them you know, after I test and they'll say, oh, it's a hunting bow. It doesn't matter for hunting. And man, I'm telling you, as a guy who I have to test all these bows, when I have to test a, a bow that doesn't feel good, I'm going to walk out of that with massive target panic. that <laughs> I've got to go back to the bridge program and work out of myself because tight bows in the back for me make it difficult for me to want to stay there for two or three seconds. And that's what I need to settle down.
0: Yep. And, and the same on the other end, although it's not as aggressive, if you're not used to a super, super curve uh, type of a limb that has not necessarily, it's not let off. It's just it's, it's losing weight in the last inch or two rather than stacking weight. So it may go from, you know, let's say 26, 7, and 8 inches is gaining 2 pounds, and then 28 to 29, it gains a pound and 3 quarters. That may not cause you to be yippy, but it will take a minute to get used to that because you're not gaining maybe what you were before. Um, when I first shot the Herbis Limbs, um, for, for example, from Uka, uh, there was a little bit of, I'm going to say let off, even though it's not a little bit of let off. And, and, uh, I think it was, um, uh, not, not Dwayne. Um, uh, uh yeah, <laughs> he was like, were you shooting better? And I was like, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I'm shooting pretty shut good. Up. He's like, well then, shut up and shoot yeah, it, shut yeah. up. Why does it matter? I'm like, solid point, valid point. Um, yeah. Calvin's a good coach for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and those guys—that's those are the owners of CD Archery. Uh, they they make a WF19, which is in this review, uh, and I'll go over that in a minute. But a, a badass riser for sure. Um, and so, actually, uh, on that note, let's start off with with CD Archery and the WF19. That's a 19-inch riser. Uh, it's pretty heavy. Um, it is, in in my opinion. One of the better options for a tournament bow, not a bad option for hunting, has unbelievable adjustments uh, in it, just like you know, pretty much any um, uh, IL, uh, ILF bow. But you have a little bit of extra room in the limb pockets for weight adjustment on your limbs. Um, I would say that bow, if you are really looking at shooting tournaments uh, more so than hunting that the CD Archery Series is a great uh, riser to look at, and I would say that would be at, at the top or one of the top options for a tournament archery uh, recurve bow. I, I don't, I'm not going to dive into it too much in the simple fact it's an ILF bow. It's got tons of options, tons of color options, two great dudes, you know, own it. Anybody that's looking at doing some hunting and maybe not backpacking in 15 miles because it is heavy, I personally like a heavy bow, so it doesn't bother me. But for people looking at it, um, the limb pockets have the weight uh, kind of distributed more in the limb pockets, which makes the float on that meaning you hold that bow very well on target. That stacked up with a, um, you know, one of the multiple different op- options of of high performance limbs. I'm going to use UCA because that's what I've used the most. With some UCA limbs, is a nasty setup. Um, Unbelievable speed, very forgiving. So, I would say that that CD Archery Riser is probably my top—not probably—that is my top choice for tournament shooting. Uh, Cody, you want to chime in on that at all?
1: Yeah. The one thing you want to consider if you go with the WF nineteen, I've owned I've owned three of them. I love them, the great risers, but they will they do preload more than your standard ILF. So, when you are estimating your weight, you want to add two more additional pounds to whatever your your current is. It will it'll add about two pounds to it. And for the same reasons, Aaron, I think you used Uka with them just because you were on that UCA trail. But a softer limb blends really well with that WF because of that preload. So if you if you don't like the softer feeling in the back, you throw it on a WF19 and it'll preload it a little bit more. And it's just uh, like an EX1 style limb goes really well with the with the WF19. In terms of weight, just to clarify, how, how much does your compound weigh when you're not when you're hunting in the mountains? Twelve pounds. And what is your and you you run really heavy bows? Heavy mean, bows, before. yeah.
0: Uh, half of that,
1: six. Yeah. So so weight weight is inconsequential I mean, is it, to me. It right. doesn't doesn't matter. That's right. So yeah. So that one's going to be kind of a high variant. But uh, other than that, it uh, that bow does rely on its weight forward technology to to make it torque free. But it's a great shooter, and I think it is a good crossover between 3D and hunting.
0: And as I say that, I think Cody brings up a good point. This is coming from Aaron Snyder's P brain. I am far more concentrating on hunting than I am on tournament shooting. And so, you know, keep that in mind. If you ask somebody that actually shoots tournaments that's really good at it, uh, so uh, Dillinger, Dimmer, Dwayne Martin, some other guys Cody probably knows that I can't remember, those guys are to talk to. Those are the guys to talk to for, uh, you know. Yeah,
1: then they're gonna be running twenty seven and twenty nine inch risers. So it's a
0: it's a it's a night to day difference. Right. And and so I'm I'm you know, keeping in mind that I am talking about somebody that's still hunting, that wants more of a hunting bow feel, that is going to probably shoot more tournaments than hunt, but wanna use the same. So that's where I bring up the WF nineteen. I think um uh a couple of my buddies just got twenty seven inch risers, which to me would be like literally going from holding a Red Bull to a PVC pipe. Um, It's a totally different feel. So I am not speaking on the heavy, uh, dimmer Dillinger, Dwayne Martin, um, Calvin type of a tournament, uh, you know, aptitude. This is, hey, I want to shoot more tournaments, but I'm still going to hunt some type of a view or I'm going to hunt a lot more and shoot tournaments
1: sometimes. But, you know, having set, it was either last year or the year before. That That riser did win spring national IBO 3D shoot, which is a – I mean, that's a large shoot, and it won. So, it's – you can win with that bow.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's a great bow. So, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth. I'm not going to do just straight ILFs and then straight, uh, you know, wood or, or custom bows. I'm going to kind of go back and forth on some of these. Um, I would say probably the most underrated um, kind of – a it's kind of a 50-style recurve. Uh, is the is the Toki? um that now for me i have an ss 64 inch with a 10x grip um the pro and con for this bow i would say is it's lightweight and hard to get heavy if you want uh, a two-piece uh more of a it's not exactly a 50 style but it's that that area and you can talk a little bit about that in a sec or actually go ahead cody talk about the build of that riser and that bow
1: I would say it falls into that. It's, it's a static recurve, right? So the limb, the limb tips curve out. But I would say that's more of a 50s style bow. Uh, and in terms of, um, there's two different types of that bow. There's the Tolkien SS, which is going to be a completely different feel than the Tolkien SS long handle, which has that 10x grip. And it's more than a grip. They have to add a lot of Dimalux to the center of that riser to get that grip. So you get more mass in the center, which makes it more shootable. In terms of its, of its weight compared to what Aaron's used to shooting, it probably felt like he was holding an ASL, a super light longbow, right? Because Aaron's used to shooting heavy bows. But if you were to compare this to your average front of the mill um, bow in that category, an all wood or a 50 style, it's, it, it, it has decent mass for its style.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And then he loaded it up as heavy as he could for me. That bow, uh, to me, when I got it and shot it, Literally stuck out is, is the most underrated bow. Now I will say one of the reasons their website, uh, Lee, it, it, there isn't really, it's not exactly a buyer's website. You get on there and it's, it's, it's a little confusing. Uh, please, if you listen to this, don't don't hate me. Um, it's not the easiest thing to grab and say, that's what I want right there. you got to do a little searching. Uh, definitely make the phone call. But if you're looking for a straight-up, sort of a 50-style uh, recurve, a two-piece, which is badass for backpacking, very shootable, um, great speed. Um, I mean, very good speed for, for what it is. Extremely yeah, it's 170,
1: 175, 10 grains per pound is where that thing labbed out at.
0: Yeah, same with me. I was going to say I I was right there, and and we'll go into speeds a little bit more when we get into the category that's more applicable to speed. But it is it represents itself very well against any other bow uh, in its category, and even categories that should be a little bit it should be a little slower. It wasn't. You know, I tested that against uh, multiple. When I say tested against, compared it to multiple different other three-piece recurves that should have been maybe a little bit faster than that, they were within a couple feet per second. It, w- it was respectable.
1: Um, the only I would add to the SS, if you're a long-draw archer, this is, this is a great bow. I'm looking at the draw force curves now on my site, and from 28 inches to 31 inches, it never exceeds. The, the highest uh, change per inch is 2.4 pounds. So it's a very smooth bow on those long draws. And, uh, it's surprisingly shootable. Like I'm used to shooting a P I shoot a PMA almost every night and I'm always impressed when I go pick up a lighter bow that shoots as well as it does. So, I mean, it's a really good shooting bow for that style.
0: Yeah, it it definitely is. So m- moving up the list here, um, Trent probably already hates me. Trent Wingard. So that, that bow there is, is one of the best, uh, bows I have ever shot, uh, as far as custom bows. Uh, I had the, it was the Ibex. Uh, I had the carbon limbs. Uh, That bow tested very well as far as limb alignment. Uh, It was, it was decent. Uh, As far as noise, it was fairly quiet. It wasn't horrible. Uh, Great speed. Very, very shootable. You know, it's, it's super durable because he's using G10 and the riser, at least the ones he made me were G10. The only, I would say the only major downside is you've got a 24 month wait. That, that to me is is, is the reason – one of the reasons I stopped shooting it was because I had people messaging me, hey, I ordered a bow, can you call Trent and pull a favor? Multiply that by, you know, two to five phone calls a week, uh, it's like, dude, you're, you're on the wait list. I don't know what to tell you. I can't pull any favors. He makes an unbelievable bow uh, and a super guy. I mean, Trent is the salt of the earth. He's an unbelievable guy. The speeds on that bow were very impressive. Um you know, especially he doesn't brand that as a speed demon bow, but but great speed. How much have you messed with that, Cody, the Ibex with, you know, the carbon limbs?
1: I have a 21-inch Ibex that I've tested thoroughly. I'm running through some of his bows now that are standard length, but I don't have a lot of experience with the standard. I've been spending the last six months on his 21 and, and it's easy for me to say that that 21 is the best shooting non-metal bow that I, for me, that I own. When I say best shooting, 300 rounds, uh, of float patterns, and I've sent him screenshots of his float patterns versus my other big hitters, like a, you know, a PMA. But in, in the world of non-metal bows, that the 21 Ibex is, uh, is really a great shooter. And I do get more performance out of his limbs. Uh, you know, you're talking, uh, single digits but you do get a little bit more out of them than you would expect
0: yeah it it, it, when you say that these are this is a broad spectrum but five to six feet um i would say is is you know four to six maybe somewhere in there um you know speed wise and, and, and again 10 grains per pound i was in the 180s uh at a 29 and change draw lengths which is a great speed i mean anytime you crest 180 at 10 grains per pound just consider that a victory and uh you know go against the ropes and just walk away. Like you should be happy. Some of the speeds I hear people tout are
1: hell, no, like, it's, full of it's, shit. It's just like, in, it's just like <laughs> me judging real beers, right? It's yeah. internet 180s. Right? So, <laughs> so when, when I see people telling me they get 190 feet per second out of their sage, and the, the picture on Facebook has the chronograph at a 45-degree angle, I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It,
0: it, it's just not really attainable until you get into a few of the um, super curve uh, limbs and and, uh, in, in, and we'll go into that in a minute. I don't I take what I read as a grain of salt for speed uh, unless it makes sense. So if a guy posts a speed and says, hey, I'm getting 184 out of this with 10 grains per pound and 29 inches, I can buy into that. yeah, pro- you know, depending upon the bow. But when I see a guy with a bow I've had, Say I'm shooting 194 at 10.5 grains per pound, which I just saw this. I'm like, is there, you know, mice in that little bastard running, you know, squirting out some extra RPMs? Like, even on a skinny string, you're not getting – there's nothing performance-wise. You can add a little bit of free speed screwing with strings. We'll get into that later. But you're talking a couple feet going from one string to the next, maybe three, not ten. Ten feet per second is – Insane. Uh, when I talk about free speed, meaning there's nothing that I know of that someone can do shootings the same bow side by side that he did something extra that I didn't know about to get ten extra feet per second.
1: Just, just more draw. I mean, as I look across the the recurves that I have logged here in data, the average range is from 175 and then not. that's that would be considered an average of 10 grains per pound at 28, and and that's off of a machine. And these are good boats, right? So every it's just like scoring deer. People lie about their diesel fuel mileage, their pecker size, their mule deer score, and their recurve speeds. It's just that's what we're allowed to lie about. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: when we're going through these, one of the reasons I have Cody on here is he's not a tell me afraid to tell me I'm I'm full of shit or I'm wrong. Um, or or chime in with his two cents. And so uh generally Cody and I don't talk a whole lot, mostly I got too much crap going on but when I have a question or he wants to bounce something back and forth we'll talk. We've never been too far off on any uh data meaning my knuckle dragger redneck data and your in the lab data and in the field. We've always been pretty parallel. I don't think we've ever been too far off on on anything. So uh it's handy when I am off for you to say, "Man, you might want to look at that." Um, cuz I, I mean crap happens i may have something set up incorrectly or i may have tried something that cody has not whatever
1: but yeah i think you know, i think it's good to level set with what, what average speed is man if you've got a bow that's running 175 you've got a decent bow and you know performance bow might be 10 feet per second more when we're talking about wood bows uh at the very very high end and they're giving away some things to get there so 175 to 180 for the average guy is going to be a pretty good day at 10 grams per pound
0: yeah oh definitely the next one on the list uh, is the Bivouac Bow Company. That, w- w- with that bow, now now keep in mind, he makes a ton of different bows that I am not going to comment on because I just don't know enough about them. Uh, but he makes a 15-inch ILF, which is called the Backland. I, I, for me, in the length of limb that I like, it's just too much limb at a 62 inch bow, that's a lot of limb hanging off that little riser. But I will say that for a bomb proof ILF riser, if you have a shorter draw, um, it's relatively inexpensive. They've got different limb options. I haven't messed with those. They have some long bow limbs and recurve limbs. Uh, with a shorter draw, uh, that's now I personally, if I had a shorter draw, I, I can't speak for his limbs. I would probably, you know, knowing now what I know after trying, like, some UKAs and uh Tradtex and different things like that, I'd throw an Uka limb on there. But I think if your draw length is, is sub 60, 58 inches, you want just a, a, a bomb-proof hunting bow, uh, the Bivouac ILF system is not a bad option. Now, have you tested his bow or his rise, or his limbs
1: at all? Yeah, I've got a lot of his stuff. Uh, this is Jim Belcher who we're referring to. Uh, so Jim's had a name in traditional archery uh, that, that has a lot of reach across uh, several brands. The guy is an encyclopedia in terms of a bowyer. This riser has three or four different names. You can have it through three reverse called a DX5, and Jim, you know, makes money on that as well, so he won't mind us bringing that up. And then he has his own version of that here. And that riser, if you look at it, has less deflex than most risers. Uh, and where I where I feel like and I personally own this bow, where I think this bow comes into its own, if you want to have an ILF longbow, like a modern longbow, this is the riser that uh, can really bring that uh, to the surface. And I run XXL Centaurs on mine or some Sky longbow limbs, which are also Jim's limbs on this on this riser, and it really comes into its own, and there's nothing else on the market like that right now. So if you're interested in ILF, longbow and there's a lot of good reasons to be because you know longbows are quieter than recurves because of string slap for the most part and you're going to gain some speed going to ilf this is a great riser for that for recurves i it's not my there's just so many options with flex, i'll go down that path um jim's limbs in terms of longbow limbs i would consider to be the st- ilf longbow limbs i would consider those to be the standard um centaur made ilf limbs that were a little faster i have data on on these and on the sky but uh, i i would consider jim's ilf longbow limbs like the equivalent of an f-150 or a remington 870 you know just the, the the fundamental baseline that everything should be kind of judged off of he makes a great ilf rig there
0: yeah, definitely. And I can't speak too much on the longbow side of things. So I won't, cause I just don't mess around with too much for longbow limbs. So, um, but that, that's a great option. And I've had multiple guys ask me about tree stand hunting, ground blind hunting that, uh, want to shoot a, a longbow f- for the noise basically. Um, and I, and I suggest that riser, uh, and, and those limbs for that reason, because it's just, um, it, it's a great option for that. So the next one is the uh, the border tempest riser and his uh, v, uh what do they call the I call him the nine limbs hex nine is that correct is that what no no I think you have I think you have a CV nine or CV nine excuse me yeah. um, hex is Morrison I think actually um but the CV nines now that tempest riser and one thing you'll notice I like recurves with a lot of deflex the that tempest riser um is one of my favorite risers ever built. I would almost sc- score these separately, uh, meaning the CV-9, the fastest limb by far I've ever tested is the CV-9. The thing is just a barn burner. Uh, it has the let-off feeling. It also has um, has some feedback. Uh, you're g- you're going to get a little bit of twang in there. There's a little bit of hand shock. Um, Sid is probably going to message me about this and tell me I had it well, set up wrong. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I love Sid because he, he's not afraid to rip your ass.
0: Yeah, I, I just... <laughs> setting up so many different, you know, bows. Uh, let's compare this to a sleeping bag. If there, you have 15 sleeping bags that are all rated at 15 degrees and you sleep in them the same way, meaning you don't put the hood on, you tighten them around your neck and you wear a beanie hat. If one of those, and I'm not saying this is Sid's limb, I'm just making a point if one of those I got colder in than the other ones and the owner of that company tells me I tested it wrong, it's still colder than the other bags because I tested them all the same. So I'm, with this, it just, because of the speed, and, and I'm very much of the opinion is if you can't have your cake and eat it too, if you go with a extremely lightweight backpack, you're going to lose durability. If you go with an extremely fast bow, compound or traditional, There's going to be some negative sides to that. Generally, it's noise and hand shock. Um, Cody, you feel the same or differently on that?
1: No, I I think the the world of traditional archery is a world of physics, so there's going to be trade offs. And if you want to, there's one exception. You know, the backwards composites we talked about. Mm -hmm. But if you want speed and you want this aggressive big hook limb, there's a few things you're going to gain performance, especially when you get into the real heavy arrows. So if you like shooting heavy arrows, these things really walk away from the limbs with lower efficiencies. If you go with a nine or 10 grain, you don't really see a massive difference. But when you get into heavy hunting arrows, these things shine. But what you've got to do, and I help a lot of people tune these, and I have to get help tuning these uh, on several occasions. The, win- the If this makes sense, and you may have to translate, but the tiller sweet spot on these, the window of that sweet spot is much more narrow on big hooks than on standard geometry limbs. So, like, it's very sensitive to grip pressure. You you'll get a wobbly feeling in the riser if you're not careful, and so there's things you have to deal with in terms of increased sound, uh, increased vibration, and then you know, more finicky tuning. But it's just like comparing buying a Ford F one hundred and fifty versus you know a high end sports car. See, there's a price you're going to pay. I, I would agree with you there. And
0: and and when I say this, and I'm sure Sid will listen to this and fire back, you should have done. X, Y, and Z. You're you're probably right. Uh, my thing is, I set it up to the uh, the brace height that uh, he had suggested, and I compared it to another limb. Uh, Sid's limb was by far faster. There was just a little bit of hand shock, which to me is acceptable. If you need, for example, if you are short, that limb, that CV9, is a good option. If you're needing to get a little bit more speed, especially with a heavy arrow. And I don't want to go into all these different speeds because I don't want everybody to think I've tested everything known to man and ask me for speeds. I will say with a 620 grain arrow, I shot a speed out of that riser that I drove to a different shop to test that chronograph (laughs) to drive home and test it again. It was that fast. Um, Literally, it would be like someone tell me they ran sub four minute miles for for 10 miles. I was like, 190? No fucking don't you way! Love it? Yeah, yeah, don't I'm you like, love it when you find a bow like
1: that. Yeah, I
0: do. <laughs> well, and the first thing I thought of was this is not. I don't have a. I pull fifty-eight to sixty pounds uh, generally. I I shoot five hundred and eighty to six hundred grain arrows. Sometimes I'll go a little over that, but I don't have a problem with speed. I don't have a problem killing. I don't have a problem going through animals. So for me personally, and Sid, I'm sorry, I would not choose the CV nine because I don't need that aggressive a limb. Back up, take 10 pounds of draw weight off my bow and take two inches of draw length. CV9 is something to look at. You do a quarter turn on your tiller, makes a difference with that CV9. Uh, when I'm meaning not a full, full crank, a quarter turn on that will make a large tuning difference, especially like, like I shoot a real low grip, so I got a lot of heel in the bow. That will make a difference. Um, the brace height. Uh, you have to make sure, since those are sensitive limbs, you have to make sure you do not come out of spec. It, it, it likes a low brace height. And when you say low, I thought I would blow the limb up by running it at the brace height I was supposed to be running it at. The higher brace height will blow the limb up if you're not careful. You have to run it in spec. So for guys, and I'm not bullshitting you, I went to three fucking chronographs because I thought one was bad, that, that bow was so that limb was so fast. But when I compare it to my UCA's, I don't have to worry about the UCA limbs were more tunable and I have a longer draw length and shoot more poundage. I'm being as honest here as I can be. So anybody saying I'm sponsored by any of these companies is full of shit because I'm bashing all of them or, or talking highly of all of them. That 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 riser and limb combo for me, I opted for a different limb. I got the Tempest. And I shot uh, Hoyt Velo Slims, and then I went to Uca Limbs on that Tempest riser. If I needed speed, the CV9 is by far the easy choice. I just don't need that speed. And, and as Cody has said, you, you got to pay the tollman. You're giving something up somewhere, and I just don't need to. Um, Cody, you want to add anything to that?
1: What's your drawing for? You 29,
0: 29 and a quarter, three eighths, somewhere in there. I haven't actually
1: checked questions. it a little bit. So it's. One interesting point that you made, which is another podcast, but I'm, I shoot 48 to 50 pounds, uh, anywhere from 46 to 50 pounds. I'm an inch and a half short. I'm a 28-inch DL, and I get more penetration passes than not. That's for another podcast, but I think you make a great point. Like, There's no need to keep chasing energy. At some point, you just uh, get a tunable bow. What I would reemphasize on these bows because Sid gets beat up a lot. If you run them out of spec, they're going to fail. I've, I've ruined a set of his limbs. It was my fault because I was running them out of spec. You have to run uh, Dyneema material with a D97. You have to run at a very specific lower brace height. And if you don't, these you, you will you will tear these limbs up. Um, and I don't blame him for not replacing them. If you run in spec and you tear them up, he'll, he'll replace them. But uh, they are a limb in terms of tunability.
0: Yeah, and it's no different than, uh, and I tried to, explain this to someone yet. Cause I, I promotes it. I like his riser. Uh, I like his, his limbs in certain applications. If you redline your vehicle for a mile and it blows up, you can't really expect Ford or Toyota or Chevy or Dodge to replace it. Cause you weren't smart enough to shift up. It's not their fault. So, and, and, and he's like, well, I should be able to run at whatever brace height I want to. Well, do you run You, you redline your vehicle whenever you want to? There, there is repercussions for your actions and you have to run it in spec. And so I agree with you. I talked to Sid at, at decent length about this because I was like, Jesus, I was about to throw it, started off at eight and a quarter brace height. He's like, what? And it was like seven and a half to seven and three quarters or seven and three eighths to seven and five. And and I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. I've never even shot a bow that low a brace height. Um, so I would have blown them up, probably, uh, from being a dumbass and not, not asking him. So I'm glad I did ask him. Uh, and Sid is very intelligent when it comes to, um, I mean, he's pioneered a lot. Uh, he's 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 done some amazing things with
1: limb technology. Yeah, him and his dad have done some great things. So the, other, the only thing that I would add there, and it's not a must, if you understand limb pad angles, you can use a lot of different risers. But if you're going to get into this world and you're going to be on the edge, it's a good idea to pair, if you're not familiar with limb pad angles, it's a good idea to pair up sid's limbs with his tempest yeah. uh it it has a pivoting uh bolts to support the limb which i like it's one of the very few that have that and it has the limb pad angles to accommodate this it's just a it's a good idea yeah
0: okay so now i'm going to i'm going to go the next two because I'm, I'm going to lead up where we're at now from the tempest to the the bow that i would would choose as far as uh Uh, ILF riser. So the the next one is the DOS uh, from Three Rivers. Uh, The DOS is a, it's an amazing riser, tons of adjustability. It's ugly. I I don't like the color. I don't, not the color. I don't like that it doesn't have, there's no frills to it. Yes, that's probably stupid. Um, But the only negative side to the DOS riser to me is it looks like it got spit out the CNC machine early. Uh, and they left some cool shit to be desired. Um, to me, other than that, it's an amazing riser, amazing adjustability. It's an ILF. You can put any limb on it you want. They've got what one, two, three, five, five different lengths. Is that right? Four, yeah, uh, 17, 19, 21, and twenty-five.
1: Is that correct? No, no, forward? no, no, no. They have for the if you are talking about the standard DOS, they have a seventeen and a and a twenty-one. Their fifteen is is the BioVac. It's the and their nineteen is the Tribute, which is a different. Uh, geometry altogether. Okay. You have a gotcha. 1721 for the standard DOS, and then you have the HD21 DOS. You're talking about the standard DOS, right?
0: Yeah, the standard. Right, okay. And, and as I as I speak about this, I'm glad you're on here. I've only tried the 17. Um, that's kind of, I like a 17-inch riser and long limbs. You, you don't need that, and we'll go into that when we're done with this review. But the only negative side to me, I just don't find it appealing, and I totally get, and there's a way to look at this, and I've tried to break it down, when you first are trying to hook up with chicks, you are not trying to find what's in their heart. You either like their ass, their hair, their face, or their boobs. You got to have that initial curb appeal. And then you find out what's in their heart. Or in the case, you find out if it's shootable or not. So to, to me, that was the only downside um, was the simple fact that it, it just wasn't didn't have the eye appeal I like. It is a great bow. Um, Dean is an amazing guy. I love Dean. He's a super cool dude. I've I've recommended that riser to many different people. It's just again the eye appeal. Um, Do you want to chime in on the the DOS because it has the deflex I like. It has the adjustability and everything else. But you've tried it out way more than I have.
1: Yeah. So before we get into the DOS, I have to open with my standard statement that this this is my emotional bias. This is what I kind of started with. So I like the DOS brand. Just like it's a you know when you hunt with something and you kind of feel like it's you're lucky. It's to me I it's a lucky brand for me and I like DOS. So I have the original DOS. I think it's important you
0: mention that because the winner for me, you told me you don't, that I was stupid. I was shooting it, but it has that emotional attachment. So go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think there's something to that, right? I'm not a robot. So I, I, I I like this brand. I've shot them for years and years and years since masters of the barebow three, I ran out and bought the DOS and, and it's, it's, it's been a part of my, uh, been a part of my life. So, having said all of that it does look very similar in terms of aesthetics to like the 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 80s early 90s mid 90s genre right where things were a little bit more simple if you hold up a dos we're talking about the standard dos not the ht21 next to a, a a tempest it's night and day in terms of fit and finish and the machine work that goes into those two risers it's not it's night and day um when you get into the dos Standard DOS, it has a different geometry than, say, the Hoyt, than, say, a Tempest, and certainly the WF. Uh, And I like the geometry. Um, What Soza did with that uh, works really well for me. They come in a 17 and a 19. If you buy a DOS 15, you're actually buying a, a Belcher riser that's designed for DAS. If you buy their 19, you're actually buying a Tribute riser that has completely different deflex than uh, any of their others. When you get into the 21, you have the standard DOS and then you have the HT21 DOS. The HT21 DOS um, is, has completely different geometry than the standard DOS. It has a bit more, um, a bit more deflex and it was designed for people that anchor a little higher versus, you know, Olympic archery anchors. The, the geometry was kind of optimized around that. But that is the DOS lineup. The only thing we're leaving out is you can change DOS bushings or DOS plates with ILF. So if you want to run DOS, instead of it sitting in a dovetail, it's pulling that limb up against a rubber pad and it takes out some vibration. I really like the DOS connection. If you don't if you're not comfortable taking a thousand dollar pair of Lucas and taking a punch and beating the ILF bushing out and pushing a DOS bushing in, and you don't want to go that route, I'm very comfortable with that. And to me, when I run these more aggressive hooks, it's that little pad sucks the vibration out, and I prefer them. Um, other than that, there's those are the differences. There's probably a lot of differences there, but their lineup's a little confusing because the geometry changes throughout it. Gotcha.
0: Now, the 19th, the DOS, um, and we can edit this out, which which one did you guys in the push work on? Was that the tribute? That's,
1: no, that's the HT21, and you can leave it in there because I, I still, I'm by it. I I don't let myself biased to sell those, but the HD 21, you can add weights, um, both in the limb pads. And of course it's designed after the old DOS elite, where you can put weight on the bottom and it balances to me, it balances a, a bit better than the old DOS. And there's an improvement in my hold. Gotcha. And I've
0: got a little note here, um, about that tribute. Um, if, if I were to, um, call Dean tomorrow and uh say hey Dean uh, I want to come up with an an Aaron Snyder bow not not that I want to put my name on the fucking thing but I mean I want that tribute uh I like um the adjustability in the grip um I like the way it looks I like the riser the way that riser looks um I would change a, a little bit um on it for a for a hunting bow and I it wouldn't hurt my feelings to have a 17 inch riser having said that I have never shot the tribute I just have seen pictures of it. Again, that curb appeal, which for anybody that says it doesn't matter, I believe is probably lying. Something has to draw you to a bow. Um, and, uh, and again, I got made fun of, well, more than normal for shooting a, you know, a bow with no soul because people thought the Tempest was ugly. And I was amazed if I had 10 comments, six would be like, that is the coolest bow in the world. And four would be like, that is an ugly piece of shit curb appeal those six guys like that look those other four guys thought it was ugly as shit um the tempest or excuse me the tempest the tribute to me is a good looking riser um i like that riser that's one i frequently as i'm perusing the three rivers website have looked at that riser and thought man maybe i should just shoot a 64 inch bow and and shoot that one because i do like the look of that and i do like how the grip system works on that
1: yeah it's a it's my. That's the bow. Whenever you see my limbs on my website, and I'm running through the machine, that's my standard riser. A because it fits ATA specs perfectly, and um, it has one of the best shelves in the in the industry. You can remove the shelf, that hump that's there. You just take a screw out, and you can run a rest, or you screw that hump right in, and it gives you all the clearance in the world. So to me, in terms of 19-inch hunting risers that's a really tough riser to be hunting.
0: no I, I believe me i have many times picked up the phone to call dean and say hey dude let's work something out and then hung up and be like i'm not going to be a pain in his ass I, I like the way that one looks um and i like that grip system a lot yeah it's easy, easy
1: to interchange between ilf and dos and very adjustable bow
0: yeah and you can um uh one thing i should mention i i all of these bows were tested off an elevated rest, whether it would be ILF or these wood bows. Um, that's not that important. I just after testing from a shooting machine um, and testing, um, you know, with with me shooting. There's no for me unless you just like the simplicity of shooting off the shelf. Um, and I'm not talking feathers or trad veins or oh he shoots off a shelf because he shoots trad veins it is more forgiving shooting off an elevated shelf. You got less contact. It's just common sense. Uh, so all of these bows were tested either with a Norris um, springy rest, a bare weather rest, a fishing line rest, something, but it was an elevated style rest. Um, and, and, and I want to make sure that's clear because I'm a big fan of shooting a springy rest. I have it on all my, on my bows. So.
1: That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, yeah well that's that's interesting because if you would have shot these off the shelf you may have different choices because shelf there's a lot of variation from shelf to shelf
0: in oh how, i how I, the bow is. I you know i guarantee you're right which is why i don't shoot off the shelf because <laughs> it, it's to i i'm lazy i like to throw a half inch uh wrench up there or five eighths, whatever the hell that bolt is uh unscrew it and twist it in and out uh to adjust it rather than throwing toothpicks and plastic shims and shit um in some bows, it's just a it's a pain in the butt for me to do that thicker, you know. Whether I'm running a leather sticky pad or or Velcro, I just got to the point I run heat shrink tube on the springy. It's bomb proof. I've beaten the shit out of it. Um, you know, it's more forgiving for me. Uh, I I don't know how you feel about that. The only bow I've tested off the shelf is that Toki, and you know why? Because <laughs> it well it had and it tuned that way. <laughs> I, I couldn't shim it out because it tuned right off the shelf where he's cut past center, um, and that's just where it tuned where I could go out and shoot it a decent amount and, and see
1: how it went. But um, no, I shoot I shoot off I shoot off fingers and shelves so I can kind of evaluate the shelf. His shelf is a big deal, and then I I obviously when I uh, I run a springy. Uh, I think there are big differences. I run a Teflon tube instead of the shrink wrap just because it you know lasts a little bit longer. But uh, back to the the dots. You can stack weight in in these DOS, it's expensive, but if you buy the stainless steel plates for these bows, it adds a lot of weight out to the limb pockets, which completely changes the shootability of these. So I shoot my H D twenty one with the stainless steel plates, and then I add the small weights that are integrated into the Rise from the Bottom. And that is that is the best shooting um, configuration that I have found when I study float three hundred rounds and all of those good things. But the geometry of each is different. You can call them, and they can they can walk you to do
0: that. Yeah, and and Dean's great about doing that. He's um super cool to talk to. Um, you know, as far as uh, yeah, you know, in general, when you uh, have any kind of questions or whatever, and he gets to shoot a lot and f- probably fletches more arrows than uh, any man I know because I think he, he fletches the arrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next um riser, which believe it or not, is the riser I I'm choosing is the the actual 17 inch Satori riser. Uh, and the Uka Altai limbs was my uh, my winner for an ILF system. Um, I believe both you and the push have made fun of me for liking the Satori riser. Uh, am
1: I-, I, I don't know. I don't know if the push has. I, I've, I've taken a hard stance on you being a fool for liking it. <laughs> I, I, I've, cre- I've questioned validity since the day you told me this. No, I'm joking. It, it, it is. I do poke fun of you, but it's a good riser. I mean, I have one.
0: Um, I You know, and I think what it is is um, g- comfort of what I'm used to, the bow being an extension of my body. Uh, I'm used to that. I'm used to how it feels. Uh, Speed-wise, obviously, which, you know, not necessarily because of – because I've shot the same limb uh, speed on that. I'm used to the cast of it. My point on, my arrow setup, all of that kind of intermixed. Yesterday I, I put one together and shot – an astronomical score um, on, on an Indoor 300 round. Now, for those listening in that shoot tournaments, by no means am I saying I'm going to walk into Indoor Nationals and shoot in the mid-280s. What I am saying, though, is it's a good test median for me of how I shoot with no pressure, and I'm a – what do they call that? A, a, a range hero or whatever, uh,
1: you know. Backyard hero or whatever. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a
0: backyard hero. Um, I, I shoot with that bow, and I, I mean, yesterday – we were shooting with those new Altai limbs and that riser. I was shooting two different arrow lengths, an inch and a half difference, and they still hit the dot. So those Altai limbs are very easy to tune, amazingly. I mean, now a broadhead, different story. But um, I, I just, that system is what I'm most comfortable with. It's very affordable. I will say I shoot the Tempest uh, riser just as good. This is this where it comes into play. Overseas and the Tempestizer is more expensive. Um, you know, as far as downsides or potential downsides, um, if you handed both of either one of them to me, I'm equally happy. Equally happy with both. Um, they're both very forgiving for me. I shoot very well. Um, I I just you know the only downside is overseas and it's a little more expensive for for the Tempest. Um, now, Cody, again, you would probably argue that. Uh, because you're not a huge fan of a Satori,
1: right? So uh, I'll clarify because there are emotional biases here. Uh, it's a good. I'm a massive fan of Hoyt. Uh, I have a collection of Hoyt. I have a shrine dedicated to Hoyt here in the lab, where you can go all the way back to their first metal risers, and I've collected almost every design they come out with that's unique. And I, I love uh, what Earl Hoyt did for archery, and I've studied his work. So I have I my expectations of modern day Hoyt are probably unachievable, to, to be fair. As an engineer, I look at these things in a very different way than everybody else does. So my emotional draw to the Hoyt and why I hack on you about it really has nothing to do with the practical use. I can, I do shoot my uh, my DOS and I shoot the Tempest slightly better than the Hoyt, but I can put weight on the Hoyt to make it shoot how I like. I just can't shoot it at a lighter mass equally. What the Hoyt has that's great is the Hoyt, module plate kit that you can put on there. What they also have that's great is you can buy them anywhere and they are low cost.
0: Yeah. And before some chucklehead says I'm sponsored by Hoyt, Hoyt doesn't even like me and I'm looking for a reason to not shoot the Satori. So it's not.
1: like <laughs> That's a really good point. because Yeah. They don't pay you.
0: No, I don't get any money from any of these companies. So, so please keep that in mind when I say they don't like me. I'm not their first choice to promote Hoyt for whatever reason. I have no um, issue with Hoyt at all. They just, I'm, 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 I'm a bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Polarizing. You know, I'm, I'm, we have a podcast. Hoyt is a Christian type company or Mormon type company. Our podcast is not, um, they have very good reasons probably to not like me as much as, as maybe other people that would support them. That's not a down on Hoyt. That's me. So, I am I am looking uh, to uh, shoot a different riser, but that Satori, it's it's cost effective, it looks cool, um, it's very adjustable. But I, I don't want anybody to think there's bias in this. It, it literally that's just the bow. I shoot the shit out of that bow, and and, and I like it. But I shoot the Tempest extremely well as as well. It, it's just I'm trying to be honest with people here. The Tempest is a little more expensive. You got to go overseas to get it. It is badass looking. I like the look of that Tempest, though. It, it is an awesome riser. But the, the two downsides favor the Hoyt a little bit for more for me, um, you know, because of those reasons.
1: No, I agree. The only clarification, the is a Christian podcast. I don't want to face eternal hell because what Aaron just said, if you go to the Randy Kitts episode, he does profess his faith in God. And I'll, I'll do mine here just to mark that off the list. So we're not terrible. But I understand what you mean. The, the dick pictures and the cursing probably. Keeps am, you from am, being the outdoor
0: alley of Hoyt. Uh yes, I believe you are correct, but it's me, and I don't want to change, so I just have to deal with it. Um, so I I think one of the things before we move off of the ILF, you know, systems, the bonuses to an ILF system. I'm going to throw my 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 bonuses in, in in compared to a um a a, a custom bow that that uh, doesn't have the adjustability. I like the fact with an ILF bow, you have multiple different limbs to choose from, and you've got adjustability in the tiller and the weight. Meaning if I'm tearing a little weak or a little stiff, I can throw a crank or two on or take a crank or two off. Um, If you have a problem while you're shitting your pants of pulling a little bit downward on your string, you can tune a lot of that stuff out. I like running a springy rest. Um, If I ran a off the shelf, I like the idea that I can manufacture an adjustable, not a plunger, but a the depth I can adjust to where whether I'm cut inside of center, I can move that back and forth. I like that. I have a very unique grip that I like that it's actually our cores blank fits me perfectly. Like the one they send out to modify uh, with their grip system, I actually like, th- I shoot the blank. that. Literally, when I got a hold of R-Core, I'm like, can you just send me two green blanks? And they're like, yeah, uh, why? And I'm like, because that's actually the grip I like. Um, It's like a compound grip. And so all of those things are are beneficial to me, and I like to add weight. Um, You know, with the uh, CD, like the WF-19, I don't really need to add much weight to that. Um, but if I want to add weight to the riser, I can, I can add that weight to an ILF where it's a little more difficult, not impossible. You can put, you can add what's McCall it's to a wood bow and add weight. It looks weird. Like you're going to take a wood bow and throw a piece of metal in front of it, but you can do that, but you can adjust weight all over the place. Um, you know, on a ILF bow.
1: Yeah. Uh, grip is number one. I think that's the the cheapest I'm, I'm dealing with it now. I'm reshuffling my my wood bow line up to get the grip changes, but you can have five or six different grips, throw it on each metal riser and save yourself a ton of money. Um that I can see why you like that. I'm looking at it now, that that blank it looks like that old school compound uh grip. I run the catino sarcore, that's my preference. Um but different risers call for, for different preferences. I think the big thing if you're depending on what your level of of shooting is being able to make minute tiller adjustments is a big deal. Being able to string walk or fix crawl is a big advantage in some situations and you can run though you can run you can run that with wood bows, but you can obviously dial in your tune with an ILF. I've I've I spent last year campaigning for metal bows because I do think it's a much easier transition to come in from compound to a metal bow and you can you can you can learn and grow on it and figure out what you like. But the big thing for me at this point in time, I've, I've bought probably an additional 25 to 30 bows this year that, I'm, that I have piled up around here. The quality that you're going to get in a store brand ILF and main brand limb is much higher than what you're going to get out of the, the backyard bowyer, if you will. The quality that you're going to get, say, a Satori, you're going to get a Satori. And if there is something wrong with it, with Three Rivers or Rocky Mountain or, or Lancaster, you're going to get good customer service. And uh, there's some bigger quality issues in our industry than I think what people generally believe, usually because when someone buys a boat, they don't talk about how, if it has quality issues, they just resell it. But uh, I do think the standards are much tighter in that, in that lineup as well, and that's something that's not covered very often.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um You know, and, and also, you know, obviously Rocky Mountain specialty gear, they're just right down the road from me. Um, you know, they, they carry the, uh, the Satori risers and the Uka limbs, uh, three rivers archery, obviously the DOS riser is their riser. Um, they carry those. They're both great companies to, to deal with great people. Um, you know, they have a full lineup. Um, again, I'm obviously biased, in some ways with Rocky mountain because Tom is the one in his family that actually taught me how to shoot. Uh, I'm over there all the time. Danny, you know, it's helping me screwing around tuning or videos or whatever, but both companies are, are amazing. And you know, you can't go wrong um, with with either, whether it's questions, tuning, getting gear that, you know, they've got a ton of different things that uh, obviously you can grab at any time on their websites or, or walk in. I've never actually been to Three Rivers, so I may be full of shit there. I don't know if you can walk in or not, but they got a ton of stuff on
1: their website. Yeah, you actually can. And, you know, I have, a, I have a, my biases toward Three Rivers because I grew up using them. But you can go there on the weekends and walk through their entire warehouse and pull stuff down and shoot it and, and test it if you like.
0: Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. So now we're gonna move to my my winner in the custom uh, bow category, uh, and and that was people probably, probably figured out that's the Black Widow. My favorite is the G10 Riser. I had them built me with build me with their carbon limbs. You know, it it uh, I like the G10 Riser because it's bomb proof. I like the carbon limbs because they're uh, they recover a little faster. They're a little bit better as far as you know plucking the string. A um, little bit more forgiving. Um, you know, having said that. Uh, it's not the same as an ILF bow with a, an Uka or an MK or whatever, a zest limb. They, they're they good. They're very good. And to me, by far, the the choice if you're wanting more of a custom bow and a carbon limb, um, the Widow is kind of a, an extension of my body. Um, I can grab that bow at any time, shoot it extremely well. I've killed more stuff um, probably with the Widow than anything else. The Satori is definitely catching up with the Uka uh, limbs. But when you test custom Boyers, it is amazing that how far Tolkien and Black Widow stand out above the rest when it comes to limb, limb alignment and things like that. Um, you want to touch on any of that at all?
1: No. I'm, so you, the fact that you're landing on the same brands that I am, we need to clarify that you and I didn't test. We our experiences are completely independent of one another because I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail now, now that I picked the same two brands that you did, but. There is a significant difference in repeatability and precision between those two. If you listen to the carbon limb analysis, you listen to me struggle just to measure the mass of a limb because Black Widow's tolerances are so tight. I'm a fan of Black Widow mainly because when you recommend a bow, and Aaron, you know this, you become part of the help chain. So, if Joe Blow calls you up, what bow do you recommend? And you recommend it. If they have a problem with that bow, you're going to feel the question. Or you're going to take some accountability in that problem, right? I mean, or at least I do. So when you're recommending gear, you I'll recommend gear not just on how fast it is, not just on how ergonomic it is, but it's the quality. Are they consistent? Can they put out good bows? And Tolkien and Black Widow put out consistently good bows. If you do have a problem, they get resolved. Uh, so uh, I'm also a fan of the Widow. Uh, it gets, it's, at 10 grains per pound for my PMA, which is 64 inches, it's running around 173. Whenever you look at stack in a widow, they're very, very consistent in that there is none from 28 to 31 inches. The biggest jump you're going to get, and that's from 30 to 31 inches, is 2.4 pounds. They don't stack. And um, they're a very smooth and ergonomic uh, bow. Uh, the other big plus with widow that you don't get with Tolkien, if you ask for an Asbel grip, over five different bows, that Asbel grip will be the exact same over each one. I believe they CNC each one of those, so the grip is always exactly the same. Dan's a very talented person, uh, craftsman at Tolkien, and he hand, he'll hand-carve those but you can see some slight variances. And I think that's the lack of variation in their in their manufacturing process and their design is solid.
0: Now, I, I agree. And I think uh, one thing that I think is important for people to realize rather than thinking... Cody and I are conspired against everyone is maybe it's just because those bows are really good. And that's why we ended up
1: at this, this yeah, same I, conclusion. In, in, in my business, you know, I do this for fortune 200 companies. They would call this parallel passive of investigation. And when two completely independent uh, groups come in and land on the same thing, your degree of belief goes way up that they're right. And and that's exactly what's happened. Here. Cause we ha- I didn't know those were going to be your top two picks. I mean, it's no secret here. You, you like widow and I do too, but, it It is through not just independent testing, but perspectives. I'm just starting to dive into the broader uh, hunting, and you're you're focused entirely on that. My my perspective is more from quality engineering. So it's that's a really high degree of belief that they're, they're solid for me.
0: Yeah, def- definitely. Now, I, I want to dive in after this. Let's talk um, a few key things that people need to think about because I, I have suggested bows and guys have grabbed them and said, man, it vibrated, it did this. Um, first thing, if the bow is not set up correctly, the bow will be probably loud, will probably have ham shock some tweak, some twang. So when you grab a bow, if it's somebody, not even me, somebody known has suggested this bow that that has um, you know a spear of influence and is known to be semi-legit or, or not bullshit people, a lot of times, and this is the same with compounds, it's not the bow. It's how the bow is set up. And so I've had people tell me widows are loud, and I'm like, really? I mean, they may not be the quietest bow in the world, but they're certainly, you know, in the top list uh, of of being quiet. And then I started running run my widow out of spec for, for brace height. Yeah, low. they'll get loud. They'll get loud quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you got like high Yep, I'm running an eight and five eighths brace height on my widow. Um, they like in a high brace height.
1: I, if, if you remember when I did the silencer study, uh, I do remember that. One, that it was epic. Th- and we had 13 people on the other side of the curtain. I intentionally took my PMA because everyone was telling me how loud it was, and the people behind the curtain thought I was changing bows. They thought I was moving to a self bow because some of the shots were so quiet, right? And so the widow is not loud. Uh, it, but it does have to be set up. It can get really loud. And what's different about the widow, they do like the higher brace height. And if you bring that brace down, you're just bringing in more more limb slap or string slap. Uh, Seven and other three criti-
0: quarters to eight and a half on a widow literally is night and day. Like yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the nastiest bow you've shot to the best bow you've shot. There's, 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 there's vibration, there's noise, there's a lot when you run it that low. I
1: completely agree. And the, the other criticism that I feel quite a bit on widows is that they're slow. If you look at the brace height you're actually running and the amount of deflex that's in that design, you're actually getting, I, I'm using this relatively, you're getting a fast bow for the forgiving nature of that bow. You're getting a very fast bow. If you look at how those limbs are designed, they're designed to be robust, not to be fast. Everything about their design is more around a more robust design. So you're getting a lot of performance for the shootability and 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 design that, that they, that they have. I know that's probably difficult for people to understand or believe that when I, the way I look at it through my lens, that's a, it's a barn burner considering the brace height you're running.
0: Yeah. And my, my widow is respectable speed. Um, right now I'm at 57 and a half, 58 pounds. Um, I'm running a 578 grain arrow and I was at 182. Um, I'm happy with that. That's good speed to me. Um, and, uh, you know, 29 and a quarter, uh, you know, draw length, 29 right in there. I haven't actually checked it in quite a while. But um, it, it, it's, it's not it's not a slow bow, and it's not a fast bow. It's like, to me, it's right in the middle. Um, that happy medium of performance, speed, forgiveness, it's right there. So it's something to think about, uh, you know, as you're setting these up. The next thing, you know, the Clums told me uh, when I first started shooting that uh, every bow likes a specific string material, uh, you know, some will like endless loop, some like Flemish. Uh, yeah, obviously, just like the brace height. Some bows just tune at different height, brace heights. Um, I think Cody, you've gone through a little bit of drama recently when it talk, talking about string material. Uh, with with your studies now, having brought that up, I haven't read through all that shit, so I don't know what you're exactly going through. You just brought up uh, a few questions. You know, for me, Aaron, what kind of string material are you currently shooting? Which is um 8125 uh from America's Best. Yesterday I had uh Tracy Gullikson over at Rocky Mountain, longtime friend. He built me one out of uh, X99 or Mercury, uh X99. That's that's what I put on the the Uka limbs and the Satori. Why don't you because you've dove, dove in the reason why I like 8125, um, or I switched from that from X99 was it's more durable. I didn't really Whoa. see a ton of noise difference, I didn't see a ton of speed difference america's best makes an amazing string uh they can produce them quickly they pre-stretch them and 8125 was like the best of all worlds to me now i'm going to hand the mic to cody because you know way more about this shit than i do
1: so, you know, so it's it's funny that how this started it, or at least between us someone on instagram told me that trad jesus they disagreed with my analysis and they said trad jesus runs x99 and i didn't know who trad jesus was i said oh i don't give a shit he, what trad jesus run he's an idiot he needs to be right and then he goes with well, aaron center i'm like jesus now i gotta call aaron <laughs> <laughs> yeah i texted her and i'm like did you know you're called trad jesus and he's like, yeah i'm like well i called you an idiot
0: oh i don't give a shit well and that's the good thing like with, with with cody is is truly like he is is stating not his opinion not bro science it's what he's found during during testing now i can't say anything bad about x-99 Um, other than the fact, uh, from, from the, the hunting knuckle dragger perspective, it's just frayed up a lot easier. I didn't get the durability out of it. Uh, but it was a great string. I didn't have any issue. Now you might have some different thoughts on that, but you know, to me, if you're running X 99, you don't need to go sell all your strings and get new strings. Although traditional archery strings are not very expensive. I just like the durability of the. I mean, hell, I had America's Best make the string custom for me originally. They offer it now because I wanted a Flemish Twist 8125 string. Um, durability. Uh, but all right, go ahead.
1: So I, I don't personally, I have not tested the. Let's split, split strings into two categories. You have Dyneema and then you have Blended. The Blended have Veteran in them, or they might have Gore, but the modern ones all have Vectran, And that just means no stretch. Um, and I had a meeting set up with Doug Denton, who is the Hoyt engineer that, that ran a test. Border came out and said, you can only run Dyneema in our limbs. They did that years ago. Uh, just a few years ago, um, Hoyt came out and said that they had preferred Dyneema as well. I don't know the tests that they ran. I'm interviewing him to get the exact details of that designed experiment. I do know they experienced higher rates of failures running no, no stretch material. I, I have to get those details. But I'm a reasonable, or at least I try to be a reasonable person. When someone like Hoyt comes out and says that, it gets my attention. So I went out and tested the practical aspect of Dynema. Like, cause I was running 452X whenever alt, when this came out, right? I because I thought it was better just because people told me it was. I went out and purchased with ghost buyers, different stream makers, Dynema, uh, D97, um, Eighty-one twenty-five, you know the, the normal stuff, and I tested it for stretch. I tested it for shootability and for sound. I did the old double um, blind study. I ran it across decibel meters. A lot of people are criticizing me, saying I ran this test over just machines. No, I, I don't run it over machines. I do double blind studies, and that, that's off fingers. And the traditional archery community that I can that I sampled can't shoot a damn difference, and they can't perceive a difference. So my logic may be flawed, but my logic is that right now, I'm not understanding what Hoyt's tests were. If Hoyt's saying don't use it, and I can't perceive a difference between blended material and non-blended material, why take a risk? Like, maybe there's a significant risk, and maybe there's not. And that's what this gentleman got really upset with me about, was I just I just accepted their studies. But they're a Hoyt engineer. They're not twisting strings in their living room. They're running designed experiments. I'm assuming they didn't want to limit their product to certain material, they had to have a reason, but don't have all of that detail yet, but the summation of it is a well-crafted D97 string, or 8129, I'll just say Dyneema, a well-crafted string, uh, the most stretch that I have experienced, and this is in temperature swings, is about a quarter of an inch, which sounds like a lot, but you just, you can correct that really easy, and um, to me, the it, the risk isn't worth going to blend it in. This is a guy who ran 452X for a long time. And I like everyone else, I can't shoot the damn difference.
0: Uh, the one thing I would want to bring up here before I get a ton of, ton of people hate me because I, I recommended X99, there's nothing to me um, wrong with X99. Now, obviously, Cody had just made very good points about, you know, why, and I'm not going to disagree with that either. The one thing you have to understand is... Um, And I've had people say two years ago, you recommended this. We are all trying to become better, whether it be from practice, you know, working out, uh, advancing our our subject, our knowledge and subject matter. And I, much like Cody and and others, if someone tells me that is valid to try something, I try it. I don't. I think one of the problems with with uh, and I've tried to get developed this better over the years of saying you're wrong I'm doing what I'm gonna keep what I've been doing cause it works. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not that guy when someone says something well, I'll, uh, in reverse from Trad Jesus, Cody Greenwood said you should be running four three inch, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck what Cody said. I've killed more shit than smallpox with three five inch feathers. Why would I switch? And I'm like, I, no, remember. Some- I
1: remember that the podcast.
0: yeah, and I, we, <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, Man, try it again, right? I didn't have the ability when I first tried it that I do now. Man, fletch up some arrows. And uh, you know, I remember super windy day. I'm shooting my, my carport, uh well not carport, my my where you pull it in my garage. I blocked it with my truck, shot into wind. I did literally two weeks of study and I was literally at the end of it like, fuck. He's right. Four or three inches way better, son of a bitch. And went to four three inch veins. I could have stood on my high horse and just said no three five inch feathers are better. While nothing is wrong with three five inch feathers, you can hunt this is, no this problem. Is coming from
1: a man that has five inch tattoos on his form.
0: Yeah, I do actually. I didn't even think of that. I got giant feathers on my form. Um, that tattoo is cool, no matter what though. Uh, Ty McEwen okay. did that, but uh, I'm like, man, I, the, I the the four three inch trad veins are the way to go, and that's what I went to. So. I'm always trying to make my system better in that going to eighty-one twenty-five, just it was more durable. I didn't go through as many strings and I didn't lose any performance. So it was a smart choice. The same thing, uh, whether I was shooting three five-inch trad veins or, or feathers, my grouping, my stability, my stabilization of my arrow with broadheads, my wind drag, it all made sense to shoot four three-inch in comparison to three five. It, same thing with strings. If you like what you're shooting, keep shooting it. But if you want, especially when the strings aren't that big of a deal, don't be afraid to try a different one every now and then and see if you get a better performance or, or better value, uh, better durability. It doesn't hurt anything to try.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it, people have an emotional, I had no idea that this little Instagram post, it wasn't even a podcast. I haven't even released all the results because I purchased a lot of strings from different makers and there's craftsmanship variants, as I've already told you. We haven't even posted those results yet. We're just talking about material and people got amped up. So shoot whatever you want, Hoyt. I and I have to interview Hoyt, to figure out how they ran their test. But that raised a flag in, in my own eyes, and I ran out and did this study. And now I run Dyneema. Uh, if you look at if you look at you know what the high end archers typically use, they uh, if they run if they run a blended, they'll usually run more twist. From what I've read from an Eastern engineer. And to help the padding out a little bit and give it that flex. And um, John Dimmer is telling me that the majority of the Koreans run 652, which is kind of a softer version of D97. So I'm going to go try it, D97, 652, and the 81s, and I'll find what works for me. But there's no reason to get triggered.
0: No, no. And that's why I laugh. Like, when you say shit that's against what I say, I don't get you know, well, like not against, but like, you know, trad, which I didn't come up with trad Jesus for God's sake. That was uh, Dana's boyfriend. I was walking back from shooting a 20 target course. And there was like 20 people behind me because I was the last target. And he said on video, here comes trad Jesus and his apostles. <laughs> Fuck. It never, it didn't. I thought it died down after a month. It only got worse. Yeah. That guy
1: told me that. And I'm like, well, tell trad Jesus. He's a- Fucking idiot. And then he's like, they're inside. I'm like, hold on. I got to text him before you send this screenshot. Oh, shit. Well, and even if
0: you said that, I know where you're coming from because I've I've tested it as well. And and again, if somebody threw me an X99 string tomorrow, I'll throw it on my bow and hunt, no problem. Just durability-wise, the, the 8125 was, was better.
1: You, you probably broke more limbs than anybody, I know. I mean, you, you shoot a heavyweight and you shoot a lot. Were you shooting blended back then?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, I was shooting blended. And so right now to give people an idea, uh, I'm not going to mention companies, uh, 16 limbs I've gone through in four risers and I shoot wow. 10 grains per pound or more.
1: And I'm not trying to bait you. I'm just, you remember I texted you this morning because it popped into my head as I'm doing this study. No, when you, when
0: you said it, I was like, huh, you didn't really think of that at the time, but I was shooting, um, uh, X 99. Now, before there's some giant fucking conspiracy across the traditional archery world, I don't know that that's why I, I was, you know, but again, I don't, if I don't know if I have bad luck or what. Um, but I went through, uh, multiple, a few risers and multiple different limbs, um, over my, since 2016, Hence, one of the reasons it's hard for me to not shoot an aluminum riser or a G10 uh, riser or, or or phenolic or whatever, and it's hard for me to not shoot a carbon limb.
1: It's probably the frequency of use, right? And where, There's got to be very few people in the world that shoot as much as you do at that weight, right? So you're probably exposing those limbs to higher, a completely different level setting in terms of, of use. So that's what I
0: well, and you got to, is, is it the amount I shoot, the different areas and places from wet to dry? Is it, you know, who who knows what it is, but um, I, I have had multiple people, um, you know, your bow has no sole. And I'm like, well, my last bow went from having one sole to six. Is it broken to six pieces? So I'm okay with that. You know, so I, I just, uh, I, I'm going for durability and consistency and forgiveness. You know, that's, that's what I'm looking at on a bow. So on the string portion of it, I, I think it's safe to say that an eighty-one twenty-five string uh, is a safe bet. Um, if DynaFlight 97, now I will say I am not a fan of DynaFlight 97 because not everyone knows how to build a string. I will agree with Cody that if the string is built correctly, uh uh from Dynaflight 97 um it it uh what is that uh, ttt strings uh, yeah yeah. 7, yeah i never met the guy i've only tested his strings a little bit probably the best Dynaflight 97 string i've seen built um if you're going to order Dynaflight 97 that that is the guy to go to um but i'm not Dynaflight Back we're talking twenty years. I have never liked on a flight ninety seven. I've seen strings on a compound stretch three quarters of an inch or more. Got to be built correctly.
1: Yeah, on a compound, and that's why I almost say compound strings versus because these non-blended. From what I've read from the Eastern engineers writing, the non-blended materials were for cables on compounds and, and compounds. So I like eighty one twenty five. It's a smaller diameter, and I think uh, I wasn't smart enough to put all this together. This was a Jake Kaminsky YouTube where he said the smaller diameter when you twist it up, it makes for a rounder string. So I'm like, well, that's logical, that makes sense. And, and Rod Jenkins, when I interviewed him, he said the key factors is you have to have a round string, you have to have equal tension on every strand. that's where the craftsmanship comes from, right? And you, but you have to have a round string, which makes perfect sense when you think about all the oscillations these things go through. O-
0: oscillations and consistent knock-snap, right. um, you right. know, as
1: well. But we do have major manufacturing companies saying there's a problem, I'm not in a position to ignore that when I'm suggesting materials. I'm also not Batman. I don't have unlimited resources to go put these things in a, in a hooter shooter and dry fire them 2,000 times. So I, I have to kind of rely on other people's works. Uh, uh, I've got meetings set up with them so I can get their study, and I'll post it for everyone to see. Uh, Doug Denton was kind enough to give me some of his time, hopefully today, and we'll, we'll have those details.
0: No, that that's awesome. Um, the next thing I want to add is um, – uh, the noise of the bow and, and, and quivers. Um, I, I would say, and I was caught up in this too, and I, I still don't know if it's true or not. I, I always thought adding a, a quiver with a little bit of, you know, flat, like it seems to me that a, a strap-on um will take a little bit of vibration out of a riser. Now, that is bro science. It seems like it feels that way. I don't, I think you've disproven that. Is that, is that true?
1: Yeah, so uh, whenever we ran that single blind study at ETAR, one of the shots had a quiver on and quiver off, right? And really had no idea. Uh, I, like you, perceived it to be quieter, and and they actually voted it to be louder. And we all kind of raised our heads and went, what the the hell was that? We didn't expect that because everyone perceives it to be quieter. And and I've, I've told this story multiple times, but I went to an acoustics engineer, and he explained to me that when you feel vibration and you hear a sound, you perceive that sound to be louder right um and his whole spiel was he was the Shelby mustang induction engineer and he made the floorboard rattle a little bit vibrate a little bit under the driver's feet so that whenever they hit the accelerator they would feel it hear the induction and they would have that experience um so that they do take vibration out but they it end up makes sense from a physics perspective you have more things on your boat shaking and rattling so more noise, Uh, because the the doe you're shooting at doesn't feel your bow they they hear your bow without feeling it so the noise was higher since then they've come out with i think it's called the flex is that what it's called yeah and i think that was an output of that study because i went over there and talked to them and when they were done knocking my teeth out they they went to the drawing board and came up with that flex and there's i believe i haven't studied it Watching your slow-motion videos not talking to you about it But when you post them on Instagram, and I think I even posted them like I think there's an interaction between those carbon limbs I, They vibrate less because that quiver that Selway quiver wasn't moving hardly at all you, There's some slow-mo footage. I have of some quivers that shake all over the place So I go to the cellway and I go to the flex But when you do have a quiver on your bow and there's a time and a place to have one I learned that from low crawling after mule deer with a arrow master um, that you are going to get more noise and less vibration. But they, they changed their design since that study to improve that.
0: Gotcha. And so now as we're going from like the quiver, the quiver, it is imperative people listen to this, adding a quiver to your bow and arrows in it changes the tune sometimes dramatically. And so people are always asking me why I shoot tournaments with a quiver on my bow full of arrows. It's not to look cool. It's one, the weight. I'm used to that weight. Um, I'm training for hunting. It doesn't hurt my 3D scores having that on there because that's the bow I'm shooting all the time. But more importantly, my bow tunes completely different when I pull that fucker off. And so try to tune your bow exactly the way you're going to be shooting it all the time, meaning if you've got five arrows in the quiver, uh, make sure the quiver's strapped on and the arrows are in the quiver. Adding mass weight to the riser or the bow changes the tune. Um, I don't know if you've messed with that at all, but... I was surprised in the, I thought it was me in the shooting machine. It, it changes shit a lot, <laughs> especially with a broad head on.
1: Yeah. For me off, off my fingers, like I don't, I'm sure it may be different for everyone, but I'll, if I add mass to the riser, I can stiffen it up, stiffen up the shot. And, um, I always tune with one arrow out of the quiver from the tune for quiver.
0: Yeah. Same, same. Um, so next thing would be, we talked about string silencers, um, Cody did a whole trad lab on this. I, I should encourage people to use it. I, I am, um, I, I am not down with uh, non synthetic string silencers. I like s- silencers that don't hold water. A couple snaps pops the water off. Um, I've run everything known to man, and anymore, I just throw a couple cat whiskers in there. Um, I'll throw the uh, the spiders from Black Widow. I'll throw a couple small ones on the top and the bottom. But the quickest way to get your bow quiet is shoot a heavier arrow. You know, you strap a six-inch beaver ball to the top and bottom, it may make you feel nostalgic or, you know, whatever the word might be. I personally, I just told Orion over at uh, CrossFit Lakewood, I'm like, dude, get that shit off your string. I'll bring you some cat whiskers. Um, you, you know, all of them work. If that's what you're comfortable with, by all means, say, Aaron, shut up. I'm going to shoot what I want to shoot. But the reality is, is adding weight to your arrow is the best way to quiet your bow down. Do you want to comment on that?
1: No, that's that was the finding from the study that arrow mass did more for sound, both on machines using decibel meters and people, than than putting the mass in your wool silencers. I think some of the wool silencers were up to like sixty grains if memory serves, and my study came back to um, the I run the the Widow spiders for silencers, and I'll run DynaPops that you can get from Three Rivers. Cat Whiskers performed just as well, but whenever I I went to ETAR and I started, I took lots of photos at ETAR. There were people with zip ties on their cat whiskers, on the string, right? So, it, so, like, I have I, I'm not lying, that, that happened. I wrote it down. Oh, I, I can't believe this. So, some of the cat whiskers were all thrown to one side of the string. So, you have to consider that when you're going to recommend something, that the application use, not everybody ties a perfect cat whisker, right? And um, that's what cause I caught a lot of heat for not having it in the top. Uh, so I had considered not just sound and performance, but also how easy it is to throw in. So when my, my spiders break, I just throw another in.
0: Yeah. And so, and now that you say that, I will go into the pain in the butt of cat whiskers. I take a tape measure. I mark the string with a black Sharpie. Um, if I'm going to do two on top and bottom, so they're evenly spaced, I split the string in half. Um, I stick the cat whiskers through that. I string it up, I tie them in, and then I um, pull and cut so they're, they splay out correctly. Um, that is a lot different than – I would say there's four times more – there's a multiplier of four in time putting cat whiskers in compared to a black widow spider. The spider, you just throw it in. The cat whiskers is a pain in the ass. Um, they look cool, and, and they do work, but you, you do – I unstring it, pop them through the center of the string – String it back up, get them aligned, and then I tie them in. It does take time. Some people will tie them to the outside. Rocky Mountain does that. Um, I just, I didn't, I don't do that just because I got used to the way I do it. Um, but having I put pretty small ones on there, I don't have this amazingly large puff ball on there, and uh, and and it works well. I don't, I don't have any issue with it. And I shoot a relatively heavy arrow, heavy arrow so my, my bow's pretty quiet.
1: Did you cover placement? I get asked about
0: that. a I, lot. I so for placement for me, I just covered that. I measure it. So to, to me, what I try to do is I go from the center of my knocking point and then I go to where the string touches the limb. Um, I back off of that six inches and then I go six inches above that for my second one. I do the same thing on the top.
1: Yep. And I, I run the heterodyne, which is, I measure a third and a fourth and I place one at each. I can't shoot the difference between the heterodyne placement or hear the difference between the heterodyne placement and yours, but because I know the heterodyne effect, I I just do it. So there's no practical reason for me to do it that way because I can't sense or detect it, but I do it because I've read about it.
0: The only practical reason for me to do it is it's easier math, and that's no shit. Uh, The first time I did it, I'm like, let me split this into fours, and I'm like, yeah, fuck that. I'm just coming coming up six and 12.
1: (laughs) It's like the guy that can't read a tape measure. Everything's an inch or three-quarters or a half.
0: I've told story, and I mean, I can you know read a tape but i was thinking you know in my 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 mind i'm like is is breaking this thing down going to make a difference or if i keep them even will it matter you know and then i'm like i don't want to do the math and I, I don't i had music playing on my phone and i'm like yep music staying on not going to the calculator and uh i'm putting them 6 and 12 cuz it's easy to remember 6 inches up from where it touches 6 inches up from that um you know, super simple. But um, the next thing I, 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 I do want to go over is a, a little bit about tuning, but I don't want to go into uh, a crisis level uh, tuning situation here. When you have an ILF bow, you know, we talked about the custom bows, ILF bows, you know, they're, they're, there's going to be certain things if you shoot higher FOC, when you start to push extreme, you're going to possibly have a knock tear that will never come out. That can either be from a horrific downward pull release that's uh, causing the limbs to react. But more than most likely, it, it may be that your uh, your point weight is, is obsessive. And you can take that out in the tiller. Um, I would strongly suggest for people to hop on YouTube so we don't have to talk about this for the next hour. Learn how to tiller tune your bow. Learn what a positive and a negative tiller is. Or if you do like me, I set an even tiller, and I just off the knock point. But there's a lot of different adjustments in an ILF bow. If you geek out on that stuff, that that that, that are offered to you, and you might as well take you know use them if it's at your at your hands. You want to touch on that at all?
1: Um, the only thing that I'll I completely agree with you. Keep it simple. Set it at eight because you can really mess your shot up, uh, hose it out. If if you're running a, you don't have to get as geeky as I do. Go outside and shoot and look at your trajectory. If your limbs are out of time, your trajectory will get terrible. So you can optimize yourself off of that. And, And the only thing that I'll add, for the guys that are shooting longbows, especially ASLs and things of that nature, you can change your tiller by the finger pressure in your string hand drastically. And some those bows are more sensitive to that than others. So finding that consistent string pressure I'm finding, I'm studying ASLs right now, and it's a whole different genre, right? Complete, these old guys that say things different from you and I, it's because they're shooting completely different bows that rely on completely different physics, in some instances. But you, you really need to pay attention to that, and you need to pay attention to your pressure in your bow hand, because that drastically changes your tiller. Um, and I, I think people chase their own form variation, turning those bolts, and you just need to kind of set it at zero and build your form.
0: I agree. And one of the reasons I shoot the grip clicker as much as anything, more than anything, is consistent grip. Um, You know, I've I've had guys tell me, it's taken me three weeks, I still can't get this thing right. Well, that's a fucking problem because that's the same problem I had. It took two weeks to, (laughs) to get it in the right spot. But that is telling me not that there's something wrong with the grip clicker. There is something wrong with me. Because if I can't get it to click consistently, even if it's right before the shot, like when you wouldn't technically want it to click to execute your shot, for me, I'm looking at consistency. So I'm always trying to be, to be better, and my groups changed dramatically at long distances when I got the grip clicker to clip consistently and the limb clicker because that's telling me not only my draw length is consistent, But my grip is consistent. Now, you're going to get a guy, I love you, Chris Perino, is going to listen to this and poo-poo on anything that we're saying right now because it's too complicated. Then turn the channel, right? If you're not into this shit, don't listen. But it will make you a better shooter. And you get a lot of naysayers on this stuff. Cody Pride deals with it more than me. Mostly I don't answer this shit when people are bashing it. If you want to be consistent at 40 yards with a, a recurve, if you want to be in that upper echelon type of a shooter, you're going to have to have a consistent grip, consistent release, uh, consistent draw length. Now, I take this stuff off for hunting, you, you know, usually, especially mountain hunting. It's a bitch getting the clicker in the right spot and whatever. I'm I'm using muscle memory and just, you know, the discipline in, in hopes that I continue that when I shoot in an animal. But you, you can't tell me having a consistent grip and draw length is a bad
1: thing. No, I completely agree. But I would I want you to restate one thing, because I get beat up a lot. Where There's this big debate, Blake deals with it as well, where to be a great hunter, you don't have to be a great shot. You said if you want to be consistent at 40 yards. Having mule deer hunted one time, I think it's safe for me to say, if you want to be a successful mule deer hunter consistently, you better get good. Because the majority of your opportunities are going to be out there at that range
0: you will get lucky and and i say lucky you know you can get easily sub 10 yards at times but be the most uh, efficient hunter you can be i would say for western hunting you want to be consistent at 40 not to say you're going to shoot at 40 all the time but if the opportunity arises why wouldn't you want to be able to take
1: that opportunity well yeah, it just bothers me when people and there's a lot to being a successful hunter, a lot that I certainly haven't mastered that I'm working on. But shooting is one of them. If you, if you can find an animal and you can't hit it, that, that's kind of a problem. So these people that just excluded, maybe it's Perino. I don't know. I've never talked to him or what. what is. He scenario. makes fun of us. Yeah, well, start recording every start recording every hunt and start playing it on YouTube so we can see how many you miss or main. Because if you can't shoot, there's no way you get. There's no way you don't have all of those issues.
0: He, here's the thing, and I, and I like Chris. I mean, Chris, I consider Chris a, a friend. Um, but he's one of those guys that, you know, he doesn't get as geeked out on this. Nothing wrong with that. My point is, excluding Chris from this or anyone else, hypothetical situations. You've backpacked in nine miles. You're on your seventh day. You know, water is a commodity. You can't find it. You got a problem. You get a deer bedded. Looks perfect from 1,200 meters away. You get in on it, and you can only get to 37 yards. Can you take the shot? Can you hit that? Have you practiced that? Do you feel confident in that? Are you, what does Tom call it, are you shooting with hope? Are you just winging an arrow down there? To me, at 37, I am extremely confident that I'm going to hit that. Um, But I practice for those situations. If you're like 37 yards isn't for traditional archery, don't shoot it. Easy, easy. Don't shoot. Simplifies everything, but
1: But for somebody, success is going to go way down.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just times that, um, and there and there's nothing wrong with not shooting, but don't blast someone that wants to get. And I get a kick out of this. I listen to the Fred Bear. I I really they help me sleep. um, The Field Notes shot at seventy on the run, just behind it, just under it at fifty. Ran out to sixty, hit it in the femoral, and they did not have the the abilities and technology, um, that are at our hands today. Um, and those guys were winging it. And for the people to pick and pull, like, um, you go to a buffet of what Fred bear says, I find comical camo, stupid Fred bear wore plaid, but God forbid you shoot past 30 yards. Those are the things like, if you want to get consistent at longer distances, I'm not saying shoot past 40. I think 40 is an ethical shot in a perfect situation with hard work, discipline, um, everything being correct, 40 is not out of the question for a stick bow, but you, you got to practice for it and you got to prepare for it. Meaning not everyone should be shooting that, but I think you should strive for it.
1: Yeah, I think Denny Sturgis for me resonates. He didn't say much on social media, but when he does, it's usually meaningful. He said, you got to have a plan, right? So maybe it was cooling. I can't remember, but you got to have a plan and having a plan at those longer distances is, clutch
0: for me yeah yeah exactly so i won't i won't harp on that too much but i i think it's important anybody listening in you know you are all striving you just, you,
1: just to, harped on, you just harped on it and then you said you wanted to harp
0: on it oh no this is my this is my summarizing <laughs> <laughs> um you know just uh uh when you're picking out a bow you know pick out what's most applicable to you what 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 archer you want to be or become or or what you want to work at um make sure when you're when you're practicing you know once you get the bow of your dreams, make sure work on your form, work on your execution, uh, for the people that say, uh, you know, I can't hit a target, but put form foam and fur in front of me and it's going down. Don't listen to that shit. Just practice. Okay. That you don't get better when animals are in front of you. Maybe a half a percent of the planet does really work on becoming a professor of the sport. Um, learn tuning, learn building arrows, learn, learn everything, you know, and, and, buying the bow of your dreams, whatever that may be is, is part of that. You know, that's the, it's become going to become an extension of your body. And, and that's very important. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on here, everybody. If you have any questions, uh, message Cody, cause I don't have time. No, I'm just kidding. If you have any questions, uh, you know, don't be afraid, shoot us messages, uh, make sure and check out trad lab, go follow them, Uh, or like him or whatever shit you got to do. And uh, he's got a lot of good info out there, Um, you know, breaking down and kind of disproving bro science, which I think is super important. So definitely check him out. And uh, Cody, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. No problem.